Welcome back to Beyond Well Solutions. I'm Sheila Hamilton. Sometimes we get on a roll and we want to keep going with a topic that we think will have significance to your lives. This is part two of talking about moving beyond the isolation and loneliness because of COVID-19. Doyle Smith is the Executive Director of Dual Diagnosis Anonymous. Angel Prater, Executive Director of Folk Time and an international leader in Intentional Peer Support Network. And Michael Sorensen, the Business Development Director at Cedar Hills Hospital today as we have this discussion about ways that we can actually move beyond this sort of problem mindset into a more collaborative and creative mode. And Doyle, I want to bring it back to you because I looked at alcohol cells, I believe around March 3rd, had peaked at almost 280% of what they normally were. And I'm imagining um, that drug use was exactly the same. I know that especially for friends who use marijuana to cope with anxiety, they were, you know, they were acting like they needed a year's supply using toilet paper was in short supply pot. Was so what are we going to look like on the end of this when people have been over relying on their substances rather than relying on some of the skills that Angel has been talking about? That's a pretty, pretty loaded question there. Um, you know, just so you know, I'm also a man in long-term recovery from alcoholism and methamphetamine addiction. I too had a, um, a suicidal um, type moment, um, weighing 136 pounds, um, screaming at the top of my lungs, weighing with everything I owned in a bag, just not wanting to do this anymore. And I come from a long line of addicts. Um, my mom and my sister both passed away from this stuff. And um, what I would say in terms of substance abuse and or, you know, it's funny, if I want, I'll, I'll answer that, but I also wanted to answer to the, the, the question that you said, do you think people with um, severe mental health conditions are, are more prepared for this stuff? And it's kind of funny that a lot of good things have come out of this stuff, like Michael's talking about with seeing family more or having the internet um, really connect us, you know, more often. I've seen people with families really connect a lot more often now that they would, that they never did because they were in fear of, you know, how this was affecting us and how we needed to come together, not only through peer support, but with mental health disorders, it's always been stigmatized and discriminated against and not Mm. seen as an illness. And now everybody is like, having a crisis of some sort or they're just severely immobilized um, for whatever reasons. And the people with mental health disorders, Bob Nichols was our board chair and he used to say is, I think people with mental health issues are really the normal people trying to survive in an abnormal world. Mm. And what we're seeing is a very abnormal world, which we're trying to see as a new norm um, mm. and be des- des- desensitized by it in a sense to really cope. And what that coping mechanism really is, is managing our symptoms with destructive means, which could be the drugs and or the alcohol or even whatever behavior. Of mm. course, there's going to be an increase, but there's also going to be more of a need for help. And Oregon doesn't really do well on, I mean, it's got great treatment programs and providers and, and models and it does really well when it can, but it has the worst in terms of out, in terms of people being able to access treatment, yeah. it's got one of the worst records. So you know, I mean, there, there's never enough help for this stuff. There's just never enough help. I think that the people that have learned how to deal with this through a process, and there's not just one. You know, DDA is not for everybody. I, I wish I could say it is. Just like AA and NA and CA, whatever A keeps you out of DDA is not for everyone. Right. So everybody's got to keep looking for their, for their own thing that somehow clicks. Right. right. I just, I really, the ticket, I haven't heard the one thing. It's because there is never one thing. There is that. 
right? There is can the I, can, reaching can I, can I, out. Yeah, go ahead. Can, the one thing is the social resource That's right. that encompasses whatever that one thing is. You're not going right. to get it by yourself. Yeah, you are yeah. exactly yeah. right. That yeah. Because we're mammals and are, are, we are intended to be in groups of people that are supporting one another. Teaching yes. or providing. Yeah. 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 And, you know, it, it makes sense to me, Angel, that with we're going to see cuts coming in the state. Some were announced yesterday that were devastating, um, that if people are relying on government programs, on subsidies to save them, they're looking in the wrong direction. We've got to look for these tools amongst ourselves, amongst wise people who have already been through extreme states and know how to get there, and people who are willing to share these tools for free, which is why I love that you're all here because that's what I'm really passionate about as well. Angel, talk to me about the arc of someone who comes to intentional peer support because I'm just always so struck when I speak with you about how positive you are, how giving, how much time you have to be able to educate other people. Were you like that at the beginning of your journey? Uh, well, thank you. I just want to make a distinction. So Folk Time is the hub, the U.S. Yeah. hub for intentional peer support, which is trained, you know, as a curriculum, social change mo relationship model that's trained in eight countries. So I just want to make that distinction. And it's not the only curriculum out there. I just feel that it's, for me, the in line with changing the world, right? Social change is social justice. So um, no, I haven't always been positive. I had a very challenged uh, life growing up and I'm also a survivor and have been somebody who's had thoughts, um, feelings, emotions around suicide since I was a little girl. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't actually share that. I've been in my recovery journey for 24 years and I didn't actually come out of that closet until about a year and a half ago because of the stigma. And I was worried that people would start to doubt my abilities as you know an advocate and activist and leader in our in our consumer survivor ex-patient movement and so one of the things that I learned very early on in my recovery from addiction journey was that I had very uh, very much an ingrained way of thinking that that glass is half empty and surviving on the streets and surviving through years of you know drug use and substance use um, that was a skill for me but I didn't know I thought I was a problem. I thought I was broken. And over the years, I've been able to realize that that actually is what kept me alive during the time to survive some very traumatic experiences. Mm -hmm. And maybe hadn't I had that drug use, um, I wouldn't have been able to mentally stay together through the traumatic experiences. Of, you know, I had some extreme things happen to me. So when I got into treatment, I realized that um, I had a lot of, you know, negative self-talk and negative core belief about myself and who I was and my capabilities, you know, having an eighth grade education and living on the streets, you think that uh, you're never going to go anywhere, right? And that you're just broken and, and failed out of school, dropped out, all of those things. And then when I was told, Angel, let's, let's focus on three positive things to overcome one negative thing mm -hmm. and to re-shift the way my brain is processing those thoughts. Mm -hmm. And so every time I'd have a negative thought, I'd have these positive 
affirmations and start telling myself, you are lovable, you are smart, you are capable, all the things that I didn't believe I was or could be. Mm-hmm. And, and then started conditioning my, my brain to think differently. And so I put an emphasis into the world today. I go on social media, but my social media isn't to talk about my drama in my life. My <laughs> social media is my effort to put something positive into the world. And I just want to rewind a little bit about the worldview perspective that we might we may talk about. You know, there's many different avenues of wellness. I don't say mental illness, I say mental wellness, but honoring mm-hmm. multiple truths. And that's okay. So for those who don't want to feel pathologized or feel like they have an illness, it's okay to shift the way you think about it from a perspective of, okay, I have some survival skills. Yeah. My body reacts to trauma differently than someone else. And this is the way I'm living through it today. You know, we can put it in the whole person perspective rather than just one pathway. And I think that's an important message to get out to society because often people don't want to go to a traditional provider or have the label of, you know, mentally ill or even an addict, right? right. We have addictive personalities or we become attracted to a substance that sur- helps us survive through some really tough stuff, right? And so honoring, however you want to define that for you, honoring that you may have a different definition than someone else, and that's the honoring multiple truths. But if we're only making the assumption that we're speaking the same language and that we are understanding one another by a label, then we're not getting to the root or the ingredients of what brought us to that language. Language creates reality. I also really love this idea about a worldview because, you know, we, we aren't in the same boat through this drama. Everybody has different kinds of boats. And as far as I can tell, all of us have a boat that has groceries and a mortgage mm-hmm. that's paid for. So our boat is a lot steadier than a lot of people who might be listening and they're worried they do not have money to the end of the right. week. Right. And, you know, what, what I want to say is that this is a shared trauma for everyone. But because yeah. of the difference in our boats, people are having very different experiences. And I right. want to honor everyone's experience. I, I mean, I have had days during this where I have been so focused on my friends who I know are single mothers and they may not have groceries to the end of the week that I am panic stricken. Mm-hmm. And I am so concerned for my high risk daughter and my partner And all of my anxiety is something I create because none of it is right here, right now. That's the four P's that we were talking about in the other wellness. When we're so conditioned to react, we're reacting out of fear. And the four P's are specifically, we're predicting an outcome. When we're feeling afraid, we start to predict. And then we start to pry into whatever. And then we start to prescribe what we should do or what others should be doing to avoid the prediction, Mm -hmm. which creates a power dynamic or a power over. And that could be internal or external. And that's a pattern. That's a reaction equals power pattern. If we can be aware of when we're doing that, we can stop that process and, and, and say, and name it. Oh my gosh, I'm totally doing the four P's and I'm reacting. Right. And how do I now learn to respond, which is freedom because it opens up all hope and possibilities and, and figuring that together. It doesn't negate the fact that we're afraid yeah, a lot of us are freaking terrified. And a lot of us are so numb that we don't know we're terrified, but we yeah. fall to those positions. To know that with hope, rather than being afraid that that's an indicator that maybe I need to go inward and find balance of mind, body, spirit, that's how I find the hope. 
Michael, I want you to address this, and, and Doyle, jump in if you can. I, I know that for many people, you're, I, I'm stuck in this kind of like, how much of this is true? I'm, I'm trusting exactly what the World Health Organization is saying. That's my kind of guiding light, and I tend not to be a big news consumer otherwise. Um, in terms of the precautions I'm going to take to move forward and when it's okay to start going back in the world. But if you looked out at, you know, a place in Texas where there's 200 people who show up on Mother's Day with no masks, it's easy to feel gaslit for being cautious and anxiety-ridden and perhaps concerned. Um, how are you guys personally dealing with the lack of a seeming North Star in terms of the truth, of where the truth really is. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, I, I'd like to hear from both of you, if you would. From, I can't speak from an organizational perspective, but from a personal perspective, I do consume some news, and I do see uh, the effects of uh, COVID on friends and family from the conversations, mm -hmm. that, similar to conversations we've had. I do know some folks who have passed away um, as a result of this virus. And um, it makes me a little frustrated when folks are, are thinking that it's not real. Frustrated from the perspective that it, for me, it feels a lot like, in, in some ways, a lot like when HIV became a part of the news and that it was a, um, a virus that was, was made to, to punish people or we weren't sure where it came from and the response was very slow. I'm proud to, to see the response to COVID be much more on purpose and much more concerted. I worry about a hope for a, a vaccine, a hope for a, um, a cure. And I think that at least from, from if I compare it to the HIV crisis, we all need to be more vigilant. We all need to be practicing um, social distancing. We need to be using our masks in public and relying again on, on science from that perspective. Right, right. I'm not well, sure that I felt the same level of fervor before I had uh, a personal ex firsthand experience with someone passing because of this, but um, I'd like to believe that it didn't take death in order for me to see it as a reality, yeah. but um, I, I'm watching the same struggles that you are and have uh, folks who are concerned about a haircut. Um, and <laughs> yeah, you and I don't have that. We're, we're all concerned about haircuts, but come on. Doyle, what, what's yeah. been, what's well, been well, your experience? Okay, just so you know, you know, we have 12 virtual meetings per week with approximately almost a thousand people per month that are from Russia, St. Petersburg, um, Spain, Dublin, Ireland, all around the United States, all participating in dialogue around how they're dealing with this, with the mental health component and the substance abuse mm -hmm. or addictions. And what I've been, and it's been a blessing in disguise to get so many different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And first and foremost, we don't play doctor, right? I mean, it's like, you're not a lawyer, you're not, well, some are, but, um, but for the most part, we're relying on and not being fear-based with the information that's coming our way. And in recovery, just so you know, in Dual Diagnosis Anonymous, if you're working a program of recovery, you're being responsible. And of course, it's a process and people go through confusion and they're, and they're angry and or, you know, they're not following it. I mean, it's when we talk about the steps in DDA, it's like, it's not like if you're going to use the steps, it's when you're going to use the steps. It's like mm -hmm. you're going to need to because you're going to make mistakes or you're going to mm -hmm. do things that aren't right. Yeah. Um, and you need to be pulled back or you need to be put in perspective. So something comes from that and it has an outcome, which is what a program recovery is. You do something and then something happens. If you're an alcoholic or a drug addict and you can't recover and you do certain things and all of a sudden you get better, that's because it's based on that. 
same thing with your mental health. If your mental health was decompensating and you're unable to manage it and all of a sudden you do certain things and it starts getting better, then that's an outcome based on that. And this whole COVID-19, you know, there needs to be outcomes, objectives, and goals that people are following in terms of being able to get through this. And the mental health piece, you know, is, is everybody's mental health piece now. It's the normal thing. I mean, to be anxious and to be depressed mm-hmm. or to be concerned, you know, and heightened with people in DDA, it's times a thousand, you know, yeah, and, be, and people come into crisis centers getting stabilized and then going out need that support or that atmosphere or that direction. And there's no, you know, it's a process. It really is a process. And I, I love how you're being honest about how conflicting it is, you know, because oh, every, if you're doing this, you, I mean, you, you see lots everybody's doing this. Well, of course, I think it's so human. I I love that anxiety is a human response to a pandemic. I say this to my daughter all the time. This is an effing pandemic. Let's say it out loud. But recognizing it. should be. Of course, we should be. Recognizing, I mean, like Angel would probably say, naming it, you know, I mean, it really is about acknowledging it so you can be being honest about it, whether you're doing it wrong or right. Um, and, and really getting some kind of, I call it solidarity, right? Yes, you know, you have, you have, it's a, it's, it's a movement where everybody is coming together in a way to where it pushes that effort. And that's how it works with DDA. I mean, we have to, I mean, if I could have done it by myself, I wouldn't, I would have been able to, but I couldn't. And it's not for everybody, you know? And so, I just want to um, wrap up because we're almost at time here, but I want to wrap up with um, one thing from each of you that you'll actually carry over to, um, let's call it vaccine era, when we actually can move about safely, when, when we've all finally received the vaccine, which could be way longer than when the vaccine is actually created. So I'll start by saying that I have really enjoyed um, not having to cope with traffic. I have really enjoyed it. I don't think I need to go quite as many places that I have gone in the past and I'll be relying more on this. I mean, I know that it's exhausting to Zoom, but it saves the environment, it saves resources, it saves my personal well-being. So that's one thing that I'm going to integrate into it. And I have I wouldn't be able to do this today if I weren't meditating. It's the only thing in the morning that really does seek to ground me. Uh, Michael, what are your techniques that you're using there's not a lot of opportunity to spend money in my world and so i <laughs> that's so awesome saving i um you know, the the idea of oh, i don't have anything to do let's go to the mall or to the store yeah mm-hmm. those aren't choices right now so i'm finding other things to do but definitely um it's it's helping me from a savings perspective yeah that's wonderful angel what about you yeah, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I've never been able to keep plants alive. And I actually um, have learned through this process, A, that I can, and it takes intention and it takes patience and lack of noise around me. So mm-hmm. being present and not so busy. Um, and also, I really have found that I really actually feel it's very calming to cook. Whereas before, I'm like, don't even ask me to cook. I am not mm. Susie, you know, this homemaker type of individual, which more power to you who's, who are, but I've never been. And 
I can absolutely go in a kitchen and cook all day long and I make homemade salsas. So now the, the gardening will feed my salsa or I, so will purchase, I will not purchase the ingredients anymore. And then I have this whole plan that I'm going to start a community garden in my complex that, um, that I think is needed. And how fun would it be to have this way of being together? Wonderful. So those are two things I think that have really been helpful and honoring that I don't have to be so busy here or mm. physically that I can learn to be present and, and be uncomfortable long enough to grow through yeah. that. I yeah. love it. Doyle, what about you? Well, you know, in my world, you know, it, you, would, you would think that helping other people would be effort or work, but it's not. Corbett Monica, the founder of DDA, used to say, because of this experience we're having right here, right now, we'll never be the same. We'll always take each other with each other from this moment on. And for that, I'll be fully grateful. And what that means is the richer you are is the more people you connect with in the ways that you learn. And this opportunity for staying at home has got me closer to my family, got me to exercise more often, you know, and the connection to people I've never ever met or thought I would be able to reach has been a blessing in disguise um, just to have this happening right now. So I'm looking for the positive in things instead of the negative. Yeah, I love that. Michael, thank you again for compiling an amazing list. We're going to put it on all of our sites. Um, I want you just very quickly to tell people who might be listening where they can find each of your organizations. Doyle, you first. Well, Dual Diagnosis Anonymous, Inc.org, that's D-D-A-I-N-C.org. Um, is our website. And we do have a Facebook chat room, um, DDA um, chat room. And anybody who wants to be invited, we can accept. Angel, go ahead. Sure. Folktime is F-O-L-K-T-I-M-E. Folktime.org is the organization in which I work for. And we have some resources, some partnerships. And then intentionalpeersupport.org is the central location for IPS. I do want to say that we are getting ready to relaunch our uh, Suicide as a Language of Pain support group that we started in December. And, and it's specific for people who are survivors or who have lived through the experience or still have thoughts and, and visions, etc by survivors. And so it's specific to those of us who have even the thought of just wanting to die, right? And, and honoring that that is a real human experience. Mm -hmm. And we want to come from a place of hope and possibilities without judgment or fear. You don't have to worry about people reacting out of fear. We, we use the foundation of IPS to ensure that we're being with people. That's wonderful. We can learn so much from that and how common it is that people actually have suicidal thoughts. It's amazing. Michael Sorensen, uh, how do people find you? Well, we're on the web at cedarhillshospital.com, uh, not org, but .com. Um, you can also find us at 503-944-5000. Assessments are free. Uh, anybody that has questions about inpatient or outpatient services can make that phone call. We also have a Facebook page at hashtag Cedar Hills Hospital. Yeah, it's pretty easy. I love each of these humans. I can't wait to see you. And I am warning you, you'll get a hug once the vaccine is available for all of us. <laughs> Thanks again for being with us, Doyle and Angel and Michael. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.